All right. Well, Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. Going to be touching on a, a few verses here that are very familiar to us. And, um, of course, familiarity should never be a reason to just gloss over something that for, if, if anything, it should, be, it should cause us to stop and think about what we're reading. Um, but we'll be touching on the, the title of, of the message is Prescription for, uh, Prescription for Excellent Speech. Uh, that we see here given in Proverbs chapter 15. So let's read the first four verses here in Proverbs chapter 15. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise... Useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another opportunity that you've given to us to come into your house to sing your praises. And Lord, to, to give uh, praise, to give thanks here during the testimony time that all, for all that you have done in our lives, in our church. And Lord, I just pray that you be with us this time of preaching. I pray that I say only what you would have me to say. And Lord, I pray that you um, touch hearts as only you can um, and meet each need that is present here today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The subject of our speech is touched on many, many times throughout the Bible, many times here in the book of Proverbs. Um, Solomon, of course, mentions it a bunch of different times. I, I tried looking it up, and I kind of narrowed it down a little bit, um, but when he's re referencing our speech, or in relation to our speech, the word, our lips, is used 43 times, the tongue is used 19 times, the mouth is used 50 times, words are used 16 times. Uh, for a total of 128 times, just those words that I mentioned on, uh, that I touched on, um, references our speech, how we are talking. Um, that's a lot of times in a, in a book, one book. Um, and then, of course, all the other times throughout the Bible that we see our speech mentioned and how we should be speaking or how we should not be speaking. Um, the importance of our speech cannot really be overstated. Um, it is the x-ray of our heart, as Christ said. Um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Um, it, is, it is how how we speak betrays what is in our heart. A good example of that would be the Apostle Peter when he when he denied Christ uh, the third charge that was against him. Before he said thou, that you're one of his disciples, your speech is one of the Galileans. His speech betrayed where he was from and who who he had been around. Um, and so that's what speech does. A speech is kind of almost like an x-ray of our heart. With our words, we can build up or we can tear down. Um, very, very important how we talk. It is with our mouth that confession is made unto salvation, Romans chapter 10 tells us. And so what we say is critical, both in our relationship with others and in our relationship with God. We cannot separate how we talk from the rest of our spiritual life. We cannot say, well, I have a close walk with God, and then our, our mouth, our words just be very cutting, very mean, 
or, or even worse than that. Um, we cannot separate our speech from our, the rest of our spiritual life. In the book of Proverbs, um, we find instructions for our speech, often kind of a verse here and a verse there, a random, uh, random verse here or there, kind of how, how the book of Proverbs is in general. Uh, but here in our, in our text, we find four straight verses that touch on our speech, how we are supposed to be talking. And I think they give, like, as the title um, implies, a prescription for the right type of speech, for how we can have excellent speech, how we can have speech that is pleasing to our Savior. So we're going to look at these four verses, and I think they give us four M's. Uh, we're going to see the manner of speech, the method of speech, the magistrate of speech, and then the motivation for our speech. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today, again, a prescription for our speech. Verse number one, the manner of speech, probably the most familiar to us. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Again, how we talk and how we respond to others affects our relationships with others. It is very easy to talk softly or to give a soft answer when the conversation is pleasant to us. When it's, you know, no one's attacking us, we're just having a good old time, it's easy to have a soft answer then. But that is not the scenario that Solomon is addressing here. What he is addressing is a, a situation um, that is unpleasant to us. Maybe somebody is rebuking us. Maybe somebody is accusing us of something. Whether rightfully accusing or wrongfully accusing, it doesn't matter. Our response, our answer, should be a soft answer, regardless of the situation. Again, when responding to correction, oftentimes the flesh wants to throw up a very aggressive defense. Someone accuses us of something, and we want to go right after whoever is accusing us. And so, uh, that will not be a soft answer. That will be a very harsh answer, an aggressive answer. Or when we're being instructed to do something that we would rather not do. Whether it be from the preaching, whether it be uh, more, a more personal level, maybe a, a parent telling a child what to do that the child doesn't want to do. Um, it doesn't matter. The soft answer should be the response. It is critical to keeping a godly testimony. If you are out in your, at your workplace and your overwhelming response to um, unpleasant situations is a harsh answer or aggression, uh, that's not going to glorify God. You're not going to have a godly testimony. It is critical to keeping that godly testimony before others, especially, of course, before the lost. A soft answer is also vital in the uh, discussions that take place between spouses, even uh, obviously escalating sometimes to arguments. That soft answer is going to do so much to de-escalate a situation. Um, it's going to be critical. It's also very important uh, to parents interacting with their children. Again, the answer doesn't necessarily have to be a response to words that have been spoken. The answer here that we see can also be a response to actions of others. When your child does not do something that you told them to do, or he's doing something that is displeasing to you, do you have that harsh answer? Do you have that harsh response to them? Or do you use the soft answer? Obviously, you need to be firm. 
but having that soft response to them will do wonders with keeping that relationship strong. A constant, harsh response by, by the parent to the child will never foster the level of trust that is needed between the parent and child. If all they hear is a harsh response, they never have that soft answer, then a spirit of resentment or a spirit of bitterness um, is, is going to form. You're just, so, you're just laying the ground wide open for bitterness to, to uh, sink in and to grow. Again, the principle of a soft answer we see throughout the Bible. Ecclesiastes tells us that um, a wise man's speech is gracious. Um, he uses grace with his speech. You see that in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Colossians in chapter 4, verse number 6, said, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. A soft answer. A gracious answer. Again, sometimes to somebody's words, sometimes to somebody's actions. It is critical in our speech. Peter, in, in his first epistle, encourages us to answer railings with blessing. Somebody rails against us, answer them with blessing. That would be a soft answer. Not railing back, not railing again, but contrary-wise, blessing. This is the speech that God desires. This is speech that is pleasing to God. I like what Matthew Henry had to say on this verse. He said, Reason will be better spoken and a righteous cause better pleaded with meekness than with passion. If we meet a response, you know, we're using reason, we have a righteous cause, it's going to be better, spe- better said, better spoken with meekness, with that soft answer, than with passion, a passionate response, a very quick, aggressive response. Again, we are called by Christ to be harmless as doves. But quite often our speech is more like a magpie or more like a jay. A very harsh sound. Not like a dove's sound. It would be a softer sound. So do we have this correct manner of speech? How we react to people? How we respond? Our answer to people? Is it something that is soft? Or are they grievous words that all they do is just stir up anger? Is it grievous words that all they do is disappoint our Lord? So our manner of speech must be a soft response, a meek response. Verse 2, the method of our speech. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. We see verse 1 tells us how we are to talk. Verse 2 instructs us when or how to use our speech. Knowledge, obviously, is good to impart to others. But it must be, and it should be and must be, distributed in the right way and at the right time. As we are told to speak the truth in love. That is using knowledge aright, in the right manner, in the right way. Not just speaking the truth and cramming the truth down somebody's throat. We have to use knowledge aright, in the right way, in the right method. Again, verse 1, our manner of speech, we can sometimes say the right thing 
but in the wrong way. A harsh response. With the method of our speech, we can sometimes speak truth or we can speak knowledge at the wrong time. Or in the wrong manner or, in the, or for the wrong reason. An example of using knowledge in the wrong way, I don't know how many of you guys have seen the old movie, um, Old Yeller. Uh, but there's this, this man in there, he's uh, neighbors of the, of the main characters, and he's, uh, he's quite the talker, Mr. Searcy. And so the, one of the boys of this family has gotten uh, bit by a, a hog, by a wild, a wild pig. And so his legs all tore up, and Mr. Searcy, the kind-hearted soul that he is, immediately starts talking about his uncle that was in East Texas, got bit by a, a rabid hog. Well, that was not really the right time. That was not the way to use that knowledge that he had. That's not the right manner to use that. You have this family who has just had their son, his, his leg been severely torn up by this hog, and he immediately starts talking about, oh, there's rabid hogs all over the place, these mad hogs. Um, and so your son probably got bit by, by a mad hog. Uh, that's not using knowledge aright. Now, that's a humorous example, but that is, I think, a good example of it. Sometimes we try to use knowledge, and it's, we're just not using it in the right way. Just because you're speaking the truth doesn't mean you have excellent speech. You speak knowledge in the right manner. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright. And then we have those, I've been in this category myself, that we wish to demonstrate to those around us how much knowledge we have. And so we take every opportunity. Man, there's an opportunity for me to, to show off, my, let's say, my biblical knowledge, all the scripture that, I can memorize, that I've memorized. And I'll just, I'll just throw in here, well, I'll just quote this verse verbatim, and that'll show to everybody how much knowledge I have. That's not using knowledge right either. That's using knowledge in pride. But the principle of using knowledge in the right way, in the right time... It's something that we see Christ do. In the upper room with his disciples in John chapter 16, verse number 12, he said, there's many things that I want to tell you, but you're not ready for them yet. He could have told them that knowledge. It would not have helped them. It would not have been profitable to them. Sometimes we have knowledge that we can tell people, but we have to stop and think, is this actually going to profit them? Is it going to help them? It could hurt them, or it could just leave them confused. We have to use knowledge in the right way. Paul, as well, used this principle with the Corinthians when he said, I want to give you the meat, but you're not ready for meat yet. I still have to give you milk. He's not going to cram deep spiritual truths into the Corinthians. They weren't ready for that truth yet. He was going to use knowledge in the right way. We must use knowledge at the right time and in the right way. And of course, to do that, we have to have the wisdom of God. That is going to be critical in using knowledge aright, using knowledge in the right way. Again, if we just spew out our knowledge just because we think it's a good opportunity to show how much knowledge we have, we're more like the fool. The mouth of the fools poureth out foolishness. Just because you know something that is remotely uh, connected to a conversation going on in, uh, in your life doesn't mean you need to spew out all your knowledge. Um, you'll be, it's more characteristic of a fool than of a wise man. Um, the wise man uses knowledge in the right way to help, to be profitable to those around them. 
So we have the manner of our speech, the method of our speech. Verse number three, we see the magistrate or the judge of speech. Verse number three, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. This verse seems kind of thrown in there at random. You have the verses one, two, and four that are all dealing with speech very, very clearly. And then verse three, you have all of a sudden a reminder that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. God is everywhere. He is seeing everything. He is hearing everything. He is judging our speech. I'm sure you guys have never said that, never been in this situation. But I know I have, where I've, I've said something and then realized from the looks all around the people that I'm talking with that I just said an incredibly dumb thing. And everyone just looks at me like, what an idiot. I know you guys have probably never been in that situation. I'm sure that's only happened to me. Uh, but the point is, we are all judged by what we say. We're judged by those around us. We judge others by how they talk. And... The judgments that people make of each other's speech will determine how much time they spend with each other. If someone doesn't like how someone else is talking, they'll spend less time with them. If they really like what, how they talk or what they're talking about, they'll spend more time with them. It's the judgments made. It's how we interact with others. It's all part, of, all part of life. But do we keep in mind that God is judging our speech as we go around? Again, we make decisions on our speech... Uh, or on other speech, but do we remember that God is everywhere? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He sees, he hears everything. He hears how we're speaking. And of course, because he is God, he can see the method or what manner we're speaking in as well. He pierces to our soul. The most important determination of how we talk or what we talk about should be whether God would be pleased with our speech. Not whether those around us are pleased with our speech, but whether God would be pleased with how we are speaking, with what we are talking about. That should determine our speech. Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. In other words, don't let anything pass through the door of my lips that you would not approve of. Set a watch there. Lord, you decide what's coming out of my mouth. You decide what I am saying. The watch, the sentry in the night, decides who is able to come or go. And God should be that with our speech. He is the magistrate. He is the judge of our speech. We will be held accountable. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, every idle word that man shall speak, he shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. We will be judged. He is the magistrate. He is the judge of our speech. And he knows why we're, talk, why we're talking the way we're talking. He knows, of course, every word that we have spoken. So when we are speaking and we're deciding, is this appropriate to say? Well, run it by God's word. Would God be pleased with what you are about to say? That's the most important determination we can, we can have in determining whether our speech is appropriate or not, is would God be pleased with what I am saying or why I am saying it? So that brings us into the motive of our speech, verse number four. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. 
having the right motive, it's not a guarantee for excellent speech, but it will go a long way to ensuring excellent speech, having the right motive. Why are you saying what you are saying? The word wholesome there is a curative, it's a curative word, a medicine. Wholesome, something that is healing. Not, not creating a breach, not creating a hole, not creating a wound, but something that is healing to the individuals you are talking to. So when we are speaking, do we seek to cure ill will? Do we seek to cure broken spirits? Discouragement, people that are discouraged. Or do we seek to twist the dagger a little bit, stick it in and twist it? The perverseness there that is a breach in the spirit. The word perverseness is a distortion or a viciousness. That's what the Hebrew word means. Boy, and how vicious we can get in our speech. It can all get traced back to pride most of the time of why in the world are we so vicious, especially to those who we are closest to. It's all for the sake of winning the argument, of getting the last word, but how cutting our words can be to each other. We get into the argument, we get up in the the heat of the argument, and man, we can get vicious with our words. If you would remove us from that argument and say, would you ever say this to your spouse, to your brother, to your sister, to your parents, to your children? We would say, no, I w- that, that's, not, that's not how I feel toward them. But sometimes that's how we talk. Because we get caught up in the moment. And the mode of our, of our speech is one of pride. That we want to win. And we cause a breach in someone else's spirit. Sometimes we cause a stumbling block. And we make our, our fellow brothers, fellow Christians to fall. They'll be definitely judged for that, causing a fellow brother to fall, for laying a stumbling block in front of a fellow believer. So even when we are rebuking, the motive for our speech, for the rebuke, should always be to restore the relationship. Not to fracture it. Not to let somebody know how displeased we are with them. A rebuke is going to be harsh of nature. Why would we add on top of it the harsh answer? The perverseness that will make sure that we are causing a breach in someone else. Instead of, yes, it's a rebuke, but I'm trying to restore this relationship. I'm thinking especially of a parent with a child. Trying to restore it. Yes, you did wrong. Here's where you did Wrong. But this rebuke is meant to heal the relationship. To restore it. The motive of our speech often will determine the manner of our speech. If we wish to restore that relationship, oftentimes we will use that meekness. That soft answer. If we just want to make sure the other person knows what they've done wrong, it will be that harsh answer. That perverseness. And oftentimes the motive for our speech can be determined 
or we can use a litmus test, if you want to put it that way, to see if our speech is, is wholesome or not, to whether we are trying to lift up ourselves or to lift up others. What is the motive of our speech? Are we trying to glorify us, to put us up on a pedestal, or are we trying to heal others and lift them up, pick them up when they are discouraged? Or are we just trying to kick them down so that we can look better? Is our tongue a wholesome tongue or is there perverseness in our speech that we just want to make sure the other person knows what they've done wrong and where they've done wrong? Our motivation for speech should always be the building up of others, the encouraging the others, healing others. So as we close here, what a great blueprint I think we see here to have speech that is pleasing to God. The manner of our speech, having that soft answer. Not having those grievous words that all they do is stir up anger. Having that soft answer that turns away the wrath. Then the method of our, of our speech. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright in the right manner. Not pouring out foolishness, not just laying out to everybody, oh, I've done this, and I know this much, and I, I just, I, you know, I've got four doctorate degrees, and here, let me impress you with how many syllables I can uh, make a word. Um, the, motive, the method of our speech should be to use knowledge in the right manner, speaking that truth in love. And I think the most important, the magistrate of speech, remembering that we are going to be judged for how we talk, for what we talked about. So don't, when you're in your groups and you're in with your friends or, or with coworkers or whatever, don't say, is this speech appropriate to them? Ask if this speech is appropriate to God. And that will go a long way. And then, of course, the motive of our speech. Uh, very important. It'll go, this one will go a long way again to ensuring um, excellent speech. Why are we saying what we are saying? Again, a prescription we, I think we see here for excellent speech. God tells us that we're supposed to have this excellent speech, and then he tells us how to accomplish it. And as with any, any medicine, you can't leave off one ingredient. You can't just say, well, I'm going to have a, speech, a good method of speech and a good motive for speech, but I'm going to not worry about the magistrate that I'm going to have to face down the road. Um, you can't leave that off. You can't have three of the four. You try to include, you make sure we're including all four in this prescription, and then we'll have God-pleasing speech, and speech that we will not be ashamed of when we stand before God. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we love you so much. Again, this is things we've heard many, many times. Lord, I know I need constant reminder of this. Lord, I pray that our speech be pleasing to you, be acceptable in your sight. And we ask these things in your name. Hey, man, you can look up at that. That's an excellent outline. There's so much help there for you if, if you caught that. That was, that was excellent right there. I mean, you think about that when he starts off and dealing with that manner in which we come, having the, having the saying, you can say the right thing in the wrong way. A soft answer turneth away wrath. How often is that the case when there's, there's a moments that are heating up, and if you just have that follow the biblical principle, that soft answer, squelching that. I mean, the wisdom that's here, the power that's in your words, do you understand, as even finishes up there, wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness there is a breach in the spirit. 
whether that's how Mitch had put it, whether you're using those words to try and restore a relationship or to try and continue to ruin it, to, to, just to try and get that hurt in. I mean, there, there, there's some good stuff. The manner of it, using, using then, or, or the method of it, where he was talking about that. I, I like that a lot, too. Having the right thing to say and using it at the right time. Having the right thing to say at the right time. Using that knowledge of right. Man, there's so much here that, that really can't help you. I mean, you think of that. As he said, Proverbs 51 is, is, is the verse we're all familiar with. The soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. I mean, the power of your speech, what you have to do. I mean, from, from as he related a lot to family relationships between parents and children, spouses, understand the power that is in your words. And, and, and be that what, what your child needs, what your spouse needs. Say that. It'll help you when you're at work, when you're communicating. Having those right words. Um, listen, there's a whole lot of help right here. I hope you got a hold of some of that stuff. That was excellent, Mitch. I think that was a, uh, I think that was a good help. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask this question. If you're to die right now, do you know where you would go? You think about that. If death was to find you, do you know where you would go? You're going to one of two places. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. It's one of the two. When your soul departs your body, that's where it's going. And the truth is, as Jesus Christ said, there isn't multitudes of ways that lead to heaven. There's one. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. One day you'll stand before Almighty God and he will judge you. His appointment once to die, but after this, the judgment. God Almighty will judge you, and we know that when he judges you, Romans 2 teaches us, he's going to judge you based upon his law. And the truth is you've broken it, just like I have. And 100% of those who are found guilty, according to Revelation chapter 20 and 21, are cast into a lake of fire. So God's going to judge you. It's based on his law. We've broken it, and yet all who are guilty are cast into a lake of fire. That's the mess we're in. That's the reality of it. It is because of what I just laid out for you is why we need Jesus Christ so desperately. We need saved from that judgment. So in order to save us from it, what God did was incredible. He became a man. Himself. Lived on this earth a perfect life. God in the flesh living as a man. He lived the perfect life. Somebody who could actually go to judgment and the Father could say, you're innocent. I find no fault. He lived that perfect life for you. When he went to the cross, he took your sin upon himself. And the Father judged him in your place, satisfying justice. But held it, hold Jesus Christ, after three days and three nights, he arose again from the dead. He literally took your sin upon himself that he could give you his righteousness, his perfect life. If you come to him in repentance and faith, he will save you. He is the only way. It's not, it's not in a church. It's not in the waters of baptism. It's not in your good works. It must be in Christ alone. Is there anyone here that say, Pastor, please, I'm not certain that I am saved. I don't know that heaven is my home. Please, I need you to pray for me. Anyone here like that at all, please just put your hand up and let me see it. And you can put it back down. Anybody here? If you put your hand up, I might have missed it. I just see a few small children is all I'm seeing. All right. Christian, if the Lord worked on your heart tonight, maybe it was on the manner of our speech, how we need that soft answer or the method, having wisdom with our speech, to have the knowledge that's God given to us and using it in, in the right way at the right time, knowing God hears. Is what I'm saying right before God. 
And then that motive to be wholesome, to give life, not take it. Father in heaven, bless this invitation. Work in hearts and lives. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 174. And if you need to come and pray, you come and pray. And if Chaz can get ready for a